Hello and welcome to the Zero to Finals podcast. My name is Tom and in this episode, I'm going to be talking to you about type 2 diabetes. And you can find written notes on this topic at zerotofinals.com slash type 2 diabetes or in the endocrinology section of the Zero to Finals medicine book. So let's get straight into it. Type 2 diabetes is a condition where a combination of insulin resistance and reduced insulin production cause persistently high blood sugar levels. Let's start with the basic simplified pathophysiology. Repeated exposure to glucose and insulin make the cells of the body more resistant to the effects of insulin. Remember that insulin is essential for the cells of the body to take up glucose and use it as fuel. More and more insulin is required to stimulate the cells of the body to take the glucose up and use it. Over time, the pancreas, which produces the insulin, becomes fatigued and damaged by producing so much insulin and the insulin output is reduced. A high-carbohydrate diet combined with insulin resistance and reduced pancreatic function leads to chronic high blood sugar levels called hyperglycemia. Chronic hyperglycemia leads to microvascular, macrovascular and infectious complications. Let's talk about the risk factors. The non-modifiable risk factors are older age, ethnicity, particularly Black African, Black Caribbean and South Asian ethnicity, and family history of diabetes. Modifiable risk factors are obesity, a sedentary lifestyle and a high-carbohydrate diet, particularly containing lots of sugar. Let's talk about the presentation. Presenting features of diabetes include tiredness, polydipsia, which is excessive thirst, and polyuria, which is excessive urination, unintentional weight loss, opportunistic infections, for example, oral thrush, slow wound healing, and glucose in the urine on a dipstick test. Acanthosis nigricans refers to thickening and darkening of the skin, giving it a velvety appearance, often at the neck, in the axilla, which is the armpit, and in the groin. Acanthosis nigricans can indicate insulin resistance. A tom tip for you, consider type 2 diabetes in any patient fitting the risk factors that we just discussed. It's easy to screen for diabetes with a HbA1c blood test and early treatment helps to prevent long-term complications. It's possible to reverse diabetes with the proper diet and lifestyle, especially at the pre-diabetes stage, so early detection is very helpful. Let's talk about pre-diabetes. Pre-diabetes is an indication that the patient is heading towards type 2 diabetes. They do not yet fit the full diagnostic criteria, but they should be educated about the risk of diabetes and lifestyle changes. Pre-diabetes is indicated by a HbA1c blood result of 42 to 47 millimoles per mole. 
The HbA1c is a blood test considered to reflect the average blood glucose level over the previous two to three months. Next, let's talk about making a diagnosis of type 2 diabetes. A HbA1c of 48 millimoles per mole or above indicates type 2 diabetes. The sample is typically repeated after one month to confirm the diagnosis unless there are symptoms or signs of complications. Next, let's talk about management. The NICE guidelines, which were updated in 2022, Recommendations on managing type 2 diabetes include a structured education program, low glycemic index high fiber diet, exercise, weight loss if the patient's overweight, anti diabetic drugs, which we're going to talk about in much more detail, and monitoring and managing the complications. Let's go through the treatment targets. The NICE guidelines recommend the following HbA1c treatment targets. 48 millimoles per mole for new type 2 diabetics and 53 millimoles per mole for diabetics requiring more than one anti-diabetic medication. The HbA1c is measured every 3 to 6 months until it's under control and stable. Let's go through the medical management. The first-line anti-diabetic drug is metformin. Once settled on metformin, the NICE guidelines suggest adding an SGLT2 inhibitor, for example dapagliflozin, if the patient has existing cardiovascular disease or heart failure. They suggest considering an SGLT2 inhibitor in patients at risk of cardiovascular disease indicated by a Q-risk score above 10%. Second line, where metformin is not adequate, is to add a sulfonylurea, pioglitazone, a DPP-4 inhibitor, or an SGLT2 inhibitor. Third line options are triple therapy with metformin and two of the second line drugs, or insulin therapy which is initiated by a specialist diabetic nurse. Where triple therapy fails and the patient's BMI or body mass index is above 35 kg per meter squared, there is the option of switching one of the drugs used in triple therapy to a GLP-1 mimetic, for example, liraglutide. A tom tip for you, SGLT2 inhibitors are increasingly being recommended. Older patients often have a Q-risk score above 10%, making them fall into the high-risk category for cardiovascular disease. The NICE guidelines suggest considering SGLT2 inhibitors alongside metformin as part of the first-line treatment in type 2 diabetics at high risk of cardiovascular disease. SGLT2 inhibitors are recommended second-line as part of dual therapy in these patients. Therefore, we're likely to see a lot more SGLT2 inhibitors in patients with type 2 diabetes. The significant potential side effect to remember is diabetic ketoacidosis. Let's talk in more detail about metformin. Metformin increases insulin sensitivity and decreases glucose production by the liver. 
Metformin is in the biguanide class of medication. Metformin does not cause weight gain and it may cause weight loss in some people. It does not cause hypoglycemia or low blood sugar levels. Notable side effects of metformin are gastrointestinal symptoms including stomach pain, nausea and diarrhea and these side effects depend on the dose so they may be fine with a lower dose and have side effects with a higher dose. And the other notable side effect is lactic acidosis. This doesn't occur on its own but it may occur secondary to other conditions for example an acute kidney injury. Patients with gastrointestinal side effects with standard release metformin can try modified release tablets. Next let's talk in more detail about SGLT2 inhibitors. SGLT2 inhibitors end with the suffix gliflozin. For example, empagliflozin, canagliflozin, dapagliflozin and ertugliflozin. The sodium glucose co-transporter 2 protein is found in the proximal tubules of the kidneys. It acts to reabsorb glucose from the urine back into the blood. SGLT2 inhibitors block the action of this protein causing more glucose to be excreted in the urine. Loss of glucose in the urine due to SGLT2 inhibitors lowers the HbA1c, lowers the blood pressure, leads to weight loss and improves the features of heart failure. SGLT2 inhibitors can cause hypoglycemia when they're used with insulin or sulfonylureas. SGLT2 inhibitors reduce the risk of cardiovascular disease. Empagliflozin and dapagliflozin are licensed for heart failure. Dapagliflozin is also licensed for the treatment of chronic kidney disease. Notable side effects of SGLT2 inhibitors include glucosuria or glucose in the urine, increased urine output and urinary frequency, genital and urinary tract infections, for example genital thrush, weight loss, diabetic ketoacidosis, which can notably occur with only moderately raised glucose levels, Lower limb amputation may be more common in patients on canagliflozin and it's unclear whether this applies to the other SGLT2 inhibitors and fornia's gangrene which is a rare but serious infection of the genitals or the perineum. A tom tip for you, the two side effects to remember for SGLT2 inhibitors are increased frequency of urinary tract infections and genital thrush due to lots of sugar passing through the urinary tract, and rarely diabetic ketoacidosis. Patients starting SGLT2 inhibitors are counselled about the features of DKA and when to seek emergency medical input. Next let's talk in more detail about pioglitazone. Pioglitazone is a thiazolidinedione. It works by increasing insulin sensitivity and decreasing the liver production of glucose. It does not typically cause hypoglycemia. Notable side effects of pioglitazone include weight gain, heart failure, increased risk of bone fractures and a small increased risk of bladder cancer. 
Next, let's talk in more detail about sulfonyl ureas. Glycoside is the most common sulfonyl urea. Sulfonyl ureas stimulate insulin release from the pancreas. Notable side effects of sulfonyl ureas are weight gain and hypoglycemia. Next, let's talk about DPP4 inhibitors and GLP1 mimetics. Incretins are hormones produced by the gastrointestinal tract. Incretins are secreted in response to large meals and act to reduce blood sugar levels by increasing insulin secretion, inhibiting glucagon production, and slowing absorption by the gastrointestinal tract. The main incretin is glucagon-like peptide 1, or GLP-1. Incretins are inhibited by an enzyme called dipeptidyl peptidase 4, or DPP-4. DPP-4 inhibitors block the action of DPP-4, allowing increased incretin activity. Examples of DPP-4 inhibitors are citagliptin and alogliptin. DPP-4 inhibitors do not cause hypoglycemia. Notable side effects are headaches and a low risk of acute pancreatitis. GLP-1 mimetics imitate the action of GLP-1. Examples are exenatide and liraglutide. They're given as a subcutaneous injection. Liraglutide is also licensed for use as a weight loss medication in non-diabetic obese patients. Notable side effects of GLP-1 mimetics are reduced appetite, weight loss and gastrointestinal symptoms including discomfort, nausea and diarrhea. Next let's talk in more detail about insulin. Insulin is usually initiated and managed by the diabetic specialist nurses. Rapid-acting insulins, for example Novorapid, start working after around 10 minutes and they last around 4 hours. Short-acting insulins, for example ActRapid, start working in around 30 minutes and they last around 8 hours. Intermediate-acting insulins, for example Humulin I, start working in around 1 hour and they last around 16 hours and long-acting insulins, for example Levomir and Lantus, start working in around 1 hour and they last around 24 hours or longer. Combination insulins contain a rapid-acting insulin and an intermediate-acting insulin. The different formulations have a different ratio of rapid-acting to intermediate-acting insulin. For example, Humalog 25 is 25% rapid-acting, 75% intermediate-acting. Humalog 50 is 50-50. And Novomix 30 is 30% rapid-acting and 70% intermediate-acting. A Tom tip for you, a common exam scenario is discussing the possibility of starting insulin with a heavy goods vehicle driver. Patients who take insulin need to fulfill very strict criteria to carry on driving, so starting insulin has huge implications for professional drivers. 
This can be a motivating factor for improving diet, exercise and adherence to medications to improve the diabetic control and avoid having to start insulin. Next let's talk about comorbidities and complications. Key complications of type 2 diabetes are infections, for example periodontitis, which is infections of the gum, thrush and infected foot ulcers, diabetic retinopathy, peripheral neuropathy, autonomic neuropathy, chronic kidney disease, diabetic foot, gastroparesis, which is slow emptying of the stomach, and hyperosmolar hyperglycemic state. ACE inhibitors are used first line to manage high blood pressure in patients of any age with type 2 diabetes. ACE inhibitors are started in type 2 diabetics with chronic kidney disease when the albumin-creatinine ratio or ACR is above 3 mg per millimole. This 3 mg per millimole threshold for starting ACE inhibitors in patients with chronic kidney disease and type 2 diabetes is much lower than the 30 mg per millimole threshold used in patients without diabetes. SGLT2 inhibitors are started in type 2 diabetics with chronic kidney disease when the albumin to creatinine ratio or ACR is above 30 mg per millimole. This is in addition to the ACE inhibitors that they'll already be on. Phosphodiesterase 5 inhibitors, for example sildenafil or tadalafil, may be used for erectile dysfunction in patients with type 2 diabetes. Prokinetic drugs, for example domperidone or metoclopramide, may be used to treat gastroparesis, which is slow emptying of the stomach. These medications are used with caution due to cardiac side effects. There are four options for treating neuropathic pain, for example diabetic neuropathy, and these are amitriptyline, which is a tricyclic antidepressant, duloxetine, which is an SNRI antidepressant, gabapentin, which is an anticonvulsant, and pregabalin, which is also an anticonvulsant. Finally, let's talk about hyperosmolar hyperglycemic state. Hyperosmolar hyperglycemic state, or HHS, is a rare but potentially fatal complication of type 2 diabetes. It's characterized by hyperosmolality, which is where loss of water leads to very concentrated blood, very high blood sugar levels, or hyperglycemia, and the absence of ketones, which distinguishes it from ketoacidosis. It presents with polyuria, or excessive urination, polydipsia, or excessive thirst, weight loss, dehydration, tachycardia, or a fast heart rate, hypotension, which is a low blood pressure, and confusion. Hyperosmolar hyperglycemic state is a medical emergency with a high mortality, so involve experienced seniors. The mainstay of treatment is with intravenous fluids. So thanks for listening to this very long episode on type 2 diabetes. As always, a big thank you to Harry Watchman for perfectly editing the podcast. If you like the podcast, consider supporting Zero to Finals on Patreon 
for early access to the podcast episodes, early access to the videos, as well as access to the digital flashcards and question bank. And I hope you join us for the next episode where we'll go through acromegaly.